<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I think like a lot of people, middle school was not the best time in my life. I wasn't always sure who was really a friend and who wasn't. There was this one guy who would sometimes say something nice to my face and then the opposite behind my back. And you know how middle school is. Lots of kids like to test the rules and break them. And all of that came back to me when I was thinking about the story I'm about to tell you. Except this is not a story about middle school. It's about a courtroom in New York City. Our drama has three main characters. The first, someone named Martha Stewart. Good things are a signature of Martha Stewart living. They're those simple, clever shortcuts and solutions. Maybe you've heard of her. Convicted felon. But along with the highs, incredible lows, including prison time. Bud of Bud Lover Snoop Dogg. The potatoes have been boiled. I've never done it with a machine. Yeah, that, well, it's easy. So how do you do it with a... Yeah, we in the hood. We like... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Our second player, Ron Johnson, famous for building Apple stores. An energetic, enthusiastic salesman. The man who tried to turn J.C. Penney into something hip. J.C. Penney, CEO, and the man who actually designed those Apple stores that are so popular right now, Ron Johnson, finally unveiling his plans to redesign the beleaguered J.C. Penney. And our last character, Terry Lundgren, perfectly coiffed CEO of Macy's from 2003 to 2017, looks like a catalog model, spent his whole career in retail. I've been doing this now for 13 and a half years. It'll be 14 years by the time I turn over the CEO. These are the protagonists of a courtroom drama that played out in Manhattan in 2013. It's Law & Order Home Department. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Brands you can trust. Brands you know, stories you don't. I'm Dan Bobkoff. Today, the Martha Stewart trial. The ongoing investigation of Martha Stewart and allegations of insider trading. No, not that one. This one. All right, this could be decision day in the tug of war between two retail giants over their partnership with Martha Stewart. This dramatic, funny trial between Martha Stewart, Macy's, and J.C. Penney. It's a case that revealed the amazingly personal, catty, and backstabbing relationships between these three tycoons. It featured a virtuoso performance by Martha Stewart on the stand, And at its core, a question that you'd think would be easy to answer, what exactly is a store? 
and later why one listener was forbidden from using a certain bathroom cleaner and how that changed her life. Seriously, stay with us. I've been thinking about this trial since 2013. I was a business reporter for NPR then, and my editor sent me down to New York State Court to watch Martha Stewart take the stand in a contract dispute. I couldn't get over how confident, relaxed, and sarcastic she was as these two big companies waged war over her brand. I was just in the courtroom for that one day, but Stephanie Clifford was there for weeks. Day in and day out. Day in, day out. A lot of drama. Yes. Stephanie is a journalist and novelist. She covered the trial for the New York Times. It was the first time I'd covered a trial. And I walked in the first day and saw these, like, pithy, mean emails from Ron Johnson, the CEO of Penny's, that he wrote about Terry Lundgren, the CEO of Macy's, up on a screen. And I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) Like, I'm (laughs) so glad to be here. This, of course, was not the first time Martha Stewart was at the center of a high-profile court case. Stewart was convicted on all four charges she faced, conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and two counts of making false statements. And you could argue Martha never would have ended up in court with Macy's and J.C. Penney if it wasn't for that first case. Before the 2004 case... Martha is like a superstar. She's got a TV show, she's got her magazine, she's selling books right and left. Uh, And then in 2001, she makes a stock trade. Martha's stockbroker had given her a tip that the pharmaceutical company Imclone didn't get FDA approval for a drug. She sold her stock before the news was public and was accused of insider trading. In 2004, she was convicted of conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and making false statements to a federal investigator. After the trial, a stone-faced Martha walked out of the courtroom and spoke to the cameras waiting for her outside. More than 200 people have lost their jobs at my company. She was sentenced to five months in a minimum security prison. And I'll be back. I will be back. Martha got out, boarded a private plane. There she is, Martha Stewart. Getting on the plane. Was whisked home. She'd spend another five months on house arrest. To the uh, handful of fans there, there with her daughter. It's a low point for Martha Stewart, the person, and Martha Stewart, the brand. She was no longer the CEO and no longer the face of the magazine. And then in the fall of 2005, Martha's sentence was up. So, okay, so she gets out, Mm -hmm. and there's a big question mark over her at this moment, right? Right. There was a question about whether she could still be the face of something. Right, and how do you save face when when she's been in prison? Martha began a comeback tour. She published two books in two months. She expanded her existing collection at Kmart. She hosted a new daytime talk show. It feels like spring, and it's so exciting because the garden is starting to grow. The peas got in on St. Patrick's Day, as they are supposed to. She even got her own spinoff of The Apprentice. Does anyone actually remember this? I'm looking for someone with big, creative ideas. Possibly even one big idea. It does not get good ratings, but her magazine was recovering, and she was back on the cover. This was actually a pretty good comeback for somebody who had just spent five months in prison and had weathered a major PR disaster. But Martha wanted more. She didn't just want her brand to be where it had been a year ago, before her prison sentence. She wanted it to be better and bigger. Bigger. 
Terry Lundgren had a problem too. He was the CEO of Macy's, and his stores were facing competition from online retailers. So Terry Lundgren is this, like, born and bred retail exec. Like, you would expect him to have been running a department store in the 1920s. Terry is old school, like, you know, the halls of Macy's were like these paneled halls where he would meet you in a giant conference room with an oak table. And it was with like portraits of various Macy's like executives staring down at you. But in 2006, that era was winding to a close. Macy's was competing with retailers like Sears and JCPenney for middle class customers. Terry's job was to make sure Macy's won them over. To do that, he needed a big name, someone that could get shoppers into his stores and boost sales. He needed someone who was known for quality and class. Someone like Martha Stewart. So Terry and Martha struck a deal for Martha to bring her towels, dishes, ornaments, and other home goods to Macy's exclusively. Martha Stewart would develop a new line of products that could only be sold at Macy's and no other stores. When the deal was announced, stock in Martha's company soared 12%. And Macy's and Terry were taking a calculated risk on her. But Macy's did a lot of market research. They hired a public relations firm to look into what their customers, who are middle Americans, um, thought of Martha. And the idea was that they found... um, This is Terry Lundgren in in a quote from the trial. He says, lots of people don't like her, but they like her products and will happily buy them from Macy's. How big a risk was this for Macy's? Fairly big, because they were making a huge bet on her. Um, Macy's is not a company that does things lightly or without testing. Even so, had they brought these products in and they didn't sell, you're stuck with this inventory. It's exclusive to Macy's. You can't offload it at at a discount retailer. Um, So they're really making a bet on Martha Stewart, and they're really saying, we believe you can come back and you're going to do it with us. Martha quickly became a face of Macy's, the star of its ads. Make it festive and inviting. Check, check. Look alive, people. Martha, this is your inner monologue. Put the napkin down. He's at it again. The public started to say Macy's and Martha in the same breath. And through all this, Terry and Martha got to know each other better, too. They become sort of corporate pals. They went to events and fundraisers together. They traveled to Haiti together after the earthquake. You know, she feels good hitting him up for favors like VIP tickets to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. In 2008, Martha's company pointed to the Macy's deal as one of its bright spots. But by 2012, she was starting to set her sights higher. Her sales are pretty solid at about $300 million. But she's not that happy with it. She thinks Macy's can do more with her. And then what happens? And then enter Ron Johnson. Macy's world is about to be turned upside down. And our story is about to get a lot more dramatic. That's in a minute. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. By 2011, JCPenney was not in great shape. It was losing market share, and it was earning much less per square foot than Macy's. It also kind of lost its identity. It wasn't giving shoppers a good reason to go to Penny's rather than a discount store. Which brings us to our third player in this drama. Who's Ron Johnson? So Ron Johnson comes from the West. If Terry Lundgren was born and bred to run department stores, Ron Johnson was built to turn them upside down. He started at Target, which in the 90s, which was very forward-thinking then and very hip. Then he went to Apple. He used to say he came up with the idea of the Apple stores and he engineered that. People at Apple, uh, some have different opinions on that. And when he came to JCPenney in 2011, Ron Johnson had big plans. He wanted to turn the company into something it frankly wasn't. Bright and hip and sort of fancy. He's trying to take JCPenney more upscale. He begins ordering slim-fitting, you know, European men's suits and things like that for Penny's customer who prefers kind of more generous sizing. But Johnson is determined to kind of Apple store-ify it. Ron set about to do an expensive redesign, making JCPenney look like a collection of boutiques. It got a new stylized logo that just said JCP. And he did things that angered its customer base, like ditching sales and discounts. He's full of energy, uh, full of perfectionism. Um, I remember at one, at his big conference, introducing his new ideas for Penny. Uh, I heard from a source that the day before he came in to check that the chairs were all right, and then he decided they weren't and reordered, like, wedding banquet chairs. That sounds like a Steve Jobs move. It is, and I think he was trying to emulate Jobs. But there was one more important part to Ron's plan. Like Terry Lundgren, Ron wanted to attach JCPenney's name to another brand. And like Terry before him, Ron wanted Martha. He decides that Martha Stewart is going to be the biggest seller that JCPenney can have. And so he goes after Martha hard. But Martha's tied up. She has another deal. Yeah, but Martha and Johnson both want to get out of that deal. Or not get out of that deal, but essentially have a competing deal at Penny. So Johnson flies out east to meet Martha, to, you know, to go to her showroom. He does a tour of her headquarters. He loves it. She takes him out for coffee at her favorite Upper East Side spot where she discovers he doesn't drink coffee. Uh, so Is that a big deal? Is that like a little, little moment? I think, I think they're both kind of courting each other. It's like these slightly awkward first dates. Macy's may have had an exclusive deal, but that didn't stop Ron. And he definitely didn't let on that he was trying to steal Martha away from Macy's and Terry. He knows Terry, and he's in publicly, he's very 
deferential to Terry. He'll send him these, you know, gentlemanly emails saying, like, congratulations on this, and write back, you know, after jo- after Johnson does his first big Wall Street presentation, Lundgren writes to say that sounded great, congratulations, and Ron writes back saying something like, thank you so much, I respect you inordinately. <laughs> Meanwhile, behind the scenes, he is working to slap Macy's in the face. In December 2011, Ron and Martha made a deal, and they made that deal public. J.C. Penney would pay a little over $38 million for a stake in the company, and J.C. Penney would get a couple of seats on Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia's board. The deal was to last 10 years, and the deal would bring Martha's home goods into J.C. Penney's stores. The same day they announced the deal, Martha called Terry to break the news to him. He hung up on her. You know, people don't realize when this company was founded in 1902, the name of the store was the Golden Rule. You know, do unto others wow. as they would have you do. That was actually the name of the store for the first decade, huh. and then it became J.C. Penney. This is Ron Johnson on Fox Business shortly after the Martha deal was announced. He's gesticulating a lot in this video. He looks really confident. Yeah, I think they genuinely thought Macy's wouldn't challenge it. Why? That seems so naive. It does seem naive, but Johnson at the time was so full of hubris. He thought he was coming in to this staid industry. He was going to shake it up. And when you see some of his emails once this deal is announced, you see that he's, he believes Terry's going to back down, Terry Lundgren, um, because it's pennies on the offensive. You know, Terry doesn't know what to do. And of course... What Terry does is is sue. Martha Stewart living. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a little, a little road bump in there because of uh, Macy's uh, trying to sue and saying that they had an exclusive with Martha Stewart and therefore she couldn't have one with you. But she was here today. Yeah, Martha was here. What's what's the latest on that? Well, I don't know. I, I haven't seen a road bump because we're pursuing full on board to create these Martha Stewart stores. It was a road bump. A court temporarily barred J.C. Penney from selling Martha products until the case was resolved. But Martha and Ron remained confident. They thought they found a loophole. There is a carve-out in the Macy's contract for Martha's own stores, which she didn't have at that point. What does that mean exactly? That she is allowed to sell these home products if she ever starts her own stores. So the signage would be designed by a company, but it would be Penny getting the sales credit, Penny employees working in the store. To Macy's, Martha and J.C. Penney were clearly violating the contract. To J.C. Penney, this wasn't a department store selling Martha's goods. It was Martha opening her own store inside a J.C. Penney. Totally different. Right. So the idea is you'd walk into a store that says J.C. Penney, and maybe off to the left, you're going to see this pretty area. I would say like white walls, colorful enamel cookware. Um, you'll see the Martha Stewart sign. The idea is these like little jewel boxes of stores devoted to a single designer where the designer controls the look of the store, the feel of the store, except you're actually at a JCPenney and your receipt says JCPenney when you buy something. So Ron Johnson's argument, or these lawyers have found what they think is this amazing loophole that, oh, if we just call it a store, it's totally different than what Macy's is doing. Right. Then it's Martha's own store, even though it's right inside of a JCPenney. Does anyone actually buy that outside of JCPenney? Well, no. <laughs> Macy's didn't just sue J.C. Penney, it sued Martha's company too. And it all came to a head in one New York courtroom. And this is turning into a bitter courtroom battle between arch rivals and old friends. Macy's After the break, the trial. 
What's in store for Martha and JCPenney? And what is a store anyway? What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back. In February 2013, the feud between Martha, Terry, and Ron went to trial. So the civil courthouse in Manhattan is that courthouse you see on Law & Order with those tall columns, and you walk up the marble steps, and then you go through security. And it was one of my first times in a courthouse, so I was amazed. And you go back to this beautiful courtroom. We were all kind of like passing back and forth lifesavers, and when we would hear a good bit, we'd be like, oh, <laughs> and elbow one another. This wasn't a jury trial. It'd be up to Justice Jeffrey Owing to rule. Which is kind of surprising. These cases typically end in settlement. Before the trial started, um, Penny and Martha Stewart were willing to do mediation, and Macy's wouldn't. They wanted to bring this to a trial. Terry was livid. Terry was mad, and Terry wanted to get to get both of them. The courtroom was packed with journalists. Justice Oing, who's the justice overseeing this from the state Supreme Court, is sitting up on a little kind of podium in his black robes. Uh, you've got the witness box to his side, and that's where Martha Stewart's going to sit. That's where Ron Johnson's going to sit. You've got these kind of pews, which is where the reporters sit. And then you've got these crowds of lawyers, because each company has a corporate law firm with, like, very expensive lawyers who are working incredibly hard on this particular lawsuit. I remember those lawyers. There were lots of them combing frantically through stacks and stacks of papers. The whole thing felt and looked dramatic like a movie reenactment of a court case. But when Terry Lundgren took the stand, the atmosphere in the courtroom changed. Suddenly it felt less like we were watching a court case, you know, with adults and companies and business disagreements. It was clear to Terry Lundgren this was personal. Totally personal. He testifies that he thought he and Martha were friends and that he thought he and Johnson were friends. And that this just cut him, that Martha would even think of going to Penny. Terry Lundgren's a little emotional. He testified about how he found out about Martha's deal with J.C. Penney. And he told the story of how he hung up on her when she called him. He testifies, I was completely shocked and blown away by what she was saying to me. It was so far from anything that I could ever imagine. It was, I was in complete shock and I was totally disappointed. And he said he, said he couldn't comprehend this because Penny's is a direct competitor to Macy's. In his mind, this is such a betrayal that 
his his gal Martha would jump ship to Penny's, um, and he says he felt sick, and he'd never hung up on anybody in his life, and he hung up on her. But that's just the beginning. Ron Johnson's emails were entered as evidence. They were projected on a giant screen in the courtroom for everyone to read. And let me tell you, they were something else. One exec emails him, sounds like Macy is this pretty unhappy with the Martha deal, and does a sad emoji. I love, by the way, that this is like inter-office email between like very high-level people, and there's like like an unhappy face emoji. He loves it. He loves to see Terry squirming. He writes, we put Terry in a corner. Johnson writes, Terry might have a headache tonight. And then he writes to one of his executives, wait until uh, January 24th, which is his big presentation about Penny's new plans. Uh, it will be a full-on migraine. And the executive writes back, I think Terry is more likely to race past migraine into grand mal seizure. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but later, the judge, when he's writing his decision about the Penny's Macy's dispute, writes about this and just says, like, these executives are so absurd. And then, like, clearly they were acting in bad faith. This, this like, really goes to my theory that adult life is really the same as middle school. It is. And, like... Imagine all of this happening in middle school, right? And you're, like, arguing over Martha Stewart and Terry and Johnson, like, and your your pals are like, yeah, he's got a migraine. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a seizure. No, and it almost feels like, you know, people are gossiping, like, oh, my, it's like I saw Martha hanging out with JCPenney. Mm-hmm. You think something's going on? Yeah, right. Are they, are they cheating? Answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> The trial went on like this for weeks. Lots of he said, he said from Ron and Terry, those emails. And then in March 2013, Martha Stewart took the stand. So it was very exciting the day that she came to testify. How do you think the lawyers are going to grill her today? What are they going to try to get out of her? Well, Martha Stewart on the stand today is the defining moment of this case. She's in the eye of the storm. The lawyers My friend has this phrase called the power slouch. And this is this is one of those things that you sort of know it when you see it. It's mm-hmm. someone who is so in command and so comfortable in their own skin and almost seem like they just want to shoot from the hip, that they lean back and just sort of say whatever comes into their mind because they know that they are the most important person in the room. And that, to me, was Martha Stewart on the stand that day. Yeah, and let's be clear that the witness box is, like, one of the most intimidating places to sit in the world. There's a judge. There's this throng of people looking at you. Everything you say is being recorded. And as we have seen, like, the the tiniest word can make a difference. And she doesn't care. When Martha's own lawyer asked her questions, she was cooperative. She even cracked jokes. Like, at this one point, she was asked how she split her time between her businesses. And she said, I did my time, and everybody laughed. (laughs) But when Macy's lawyer questioned her, she wouldn't even look at him. She just would stare above his head and give these very plain, boring answers. But, like, and he was a good lawyer, but she... He couldn't get her to, like, engage with him at all. She was just so cold, and it was an amazing performance. There is this one moment from this trial that has stayed with me for all these years. Macy's lawyer was questioning Martha, and she said something about bringing colorful cotton towels to Kmart. Completely deadpan and without shame, she said she'd heard poor people don't do their laundry as often as rich people, so they don't want light-colored towels. And later on, when Macy's lawyer was pressing her, he was trying to get her to say that Penny's and and Macy's would be competing. And he was like, well, if you bought a knife in a department store, 
at one end of a mall, you wouldn't go to the other end of a mall and buy another knife. And she was like, you could. And then he pressed her again. And she was like, you might have two houses. You might have two kitchens. (laughs) (laughs) That's how she shops. I know. Double the knives. Martha gave the impression that this trial was just a waste of her time. This was a contract dispute. Why couldn't they settle all this out of court, out of the public eye? Like, why are we all here? She's above all that. (laughs) She's above all that. She felt that the store within a store was, or she said she felt that, that that was a Martha Stewart store. And therefore, she was allowed to do what she wanted. And all this time, all this effort, all this money going to lawyers, all this embarrassment... All of it came down to one line in one contract, which raised a question. What is a store? It sounds silly to to a regular person to say, like, of course I know what a store is, but so much of law is centered around these very precise definitions and questions. And if Macy's, when they wrote up the contract, wasn't thinking about store within a store and didn't put stores within a store are not allowed, then you get into this world where, where Penny says, ah, I, I see a way in. What is a store? It's such a deceptive question. I tried to come up with a definition in my head, like a place you go to buy things, maybe four walls, a door, cash register, a big sign out front. But then I thought, oh, wait, there's online shopping. Amazon is a store. What about a vending machine? Is that a store or a stall on a street store? Martha Stewart's contract with Macy's said she specifically couldn't sell her homewares in other stores, but she could sell them if she opened a store of her own, a Martha Stewart store. So here's the question Justice Owing had to answer. If JCPenney starts putting up walls inside its stores, hangs a big sign on them that says Martha Stewart, and you walk through a door, are you in a JCPenney or are you in a Martha Stewart store that just happens to be located inside a department store? But that's where courts get both very detailed and very interesting because they had all this testimony about, like, you know, how is how would the store work and what does it look like and who's putting in the installations and all of these kind of tiny factors that they were hoping would sway the judge one way or the other. During the trial, the lawyers obsessed over this question and it got heated. When one of Penny's lawyers was arguing to the judge about a store within a store, he said, the definition of retail store is so ambiguous. The definition that Macy's lawyers wrote stinks. To my mind, what's really at stake here is JCPenney versus Macy's. So what did Martha have at stake here? I think she was beginning to have real doubts about Ron, Ron Johnson's whole vision. By then, it was clear that the turnaround was not going to go as successfully as Johnson had promised her, you know, a year and a handful of months before. And in fact, later that year... Martha Stewart essentially backtracks. Um, in October, she, in a Martha Stewart living uh, filing, they say that Penny is only going to sell Martha Stewart products in non-exclusive categories like windows and lighting and rugs, and they won't do branded or unbranded stuff in the exclusive categories. So that's just a huge admission that this whole thing was sort of pointless. <laughs> Pointless or not, the trial carried on for months. In June 2014, a year after the suit first went to court, Justice Oying finally issued a ruling against J.C. Penney. 
Two years after that, he ordered JCPenney to pay Macy's about $3.5 million in damages. Both companies then appeal the ruling. And this drama doesn't come to an end until February 2017, four years after it went to trial. Finally, Macy's is ready to settle with JCPenney. They reach an undisclosed agreement. But at this point, all the main characters have moved on. Ron Johnson was ousted from JCPenney in 2013 while the trial was still in full swing. His attempt to appleify JCPenney was a total bust. In his last year on the job, the company lost $4 billion in revenue. These days, Ron's running a Silicon Valley startup. Terry Lundgren stayed at Macy's for a total of 14 years. He stepped down as CEO in 2017, just after Macy's and JCPenney finally reached their settlement. And he retired from his position as executive chairman the year after that. He's now an executive in residence at Columbia Business School. As for Martha, well, Martha's doing just fine. Her company, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, was bought by a conglomerate in 2015, years before JCPenney and Macy's finally reached their settlement. And now she spends a lot of time hanging out with Snoop Dogg. I'm eating European style. She got different levels of eatery that you got to understand. Notice how I ain't use one utensil. Sure, nobody's fighting over her brand in court anymore. But hey, we're still talking about her. It's time now for product misplacement. Every now and then we bring you stories about interesting ways a brand has played a role in your life. A lot of you have been writing in lately. Thank you for all your comments and stories. We've really been enjoying them. One listener actually told us her cat ate a strap from one of her Crocs. If you aren't in on that joke, you might want to go back to last week's episode. But this product misplacement story comes from another listener. I'm Christy Salonen. I currently live in Denali National Park, Alaska, but I'm originally from Utah. And the brand that's had an effect on her life? Uh, It's uh, Scrubbing Bubbles, the bathroom cleaner. That's because in her house growing up, it was banned, forbidden. Christy told producer Sarah Wyman that this became an issue when she was around six. It was spurred by the commercial. All right, Bubbles, get ready to hit the dirt. It was really fun. It was these bubbles that ran around the bathroom. We're going to give this bathroom the shine of its life. I just wanted, it it just looked like so much fun. And my mom was like, but that's not going to be in our house. That's made by Dow Chemical. They made napalm during Vietnam. Now let's go down a drain together. We work hard so you don't have to. And I was like, oh, okay, not knowing (laughs) what any of that meant. The Dow Company began making napalm in 1965. I remember telling somebody at a grocery store, I must have purchased it or picked it up or my mom made me take it back. And I remember just (laughs) handing it to somebody and being like, they made napalm in Vietnam, so I need to get Comet instead. I have a very vivid memory of handing this to, like, the poor guy at the grocery store that was across the street at the house, so... And neither of you totally understanding why this exchange is happening. mm -mm. No. (laughs) Even in high school, I had a friend, you know, the cute boy that comes over to your house when you're in high school, and... He said his aunt was an executive at Dow Chemical. And I just, like, 
shut your mouth, shut your mouth. We're never, it's never going to happen. And my mom's like, oh, does she know what she does for a living? Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I got older, like my first apartment, you know, my first house, she, I remember her coming to my house and looking in my bathroom cupboards to see if I had scrubbing bubbles. And I'm not going to lie, I was about 25, I bought scrubbing bubbles as a revolt. I wanted to see what these bubbles could do, and I used it, and I got it in my eye, and it stung, stung for 30 seconds while I rinsed it, but during those 30 seconds, all that could go through my head was, I'm going to go blind, and I'm going to have to tell my mom it's because of scrubbing bubbles. That's the only thing that would go through my head. (laughs) In 1997, Dow sold scrubbing bubbles to S.C. Johnson & Son. And I didn't know that until a few years ago. And um, at the time, my mom was going through chemo. It didn't look good. And I, I was like, Mom, can I please, can I use scrubbing bubbles now? Like, the war was 40 years ago. You go to Hobby Lobby. Can I please use scrubbing bubbles? And my mom, first, she joked. My mom was Buddhist, and she strong belief that she would be reincarnated. She told me she would be reincarnated to, to something that would disturb my usage of scrubbing bubbles. <laughs> but I can't not walk through a cleaning aisle without a smirk at the scrubbing bubbles staring at me. <laughs> it's like she's saying hello. <laughs> it is. It's like she, she got reincarnated as a can of, <laughs> of scrubbing bubbles. Don't you dare take me off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I think now... It's almost a matter of closeness to her now that she's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, because I can't see a can of scrubbing bubbles without thinking about my mom. It works really well. I don't know if you've tried it. <laughs> I've only tried it a couple <laughs> times. Sorry, Mom. That's Christy Salonen. If you have a product misplacement story, send us an email at householdname at insider.com or let us know in our Facebook group. Just search for Household Name Podcast. This episode was produced by Amy Padula with Sarah Wyman and me. Sound design and original music by John Delore and Casey Holford. The executive producers are Chris Bannon, Jenny Radelet, and me. Household Name is a production of Insider Audio. Stitcher.